Yeah, that feels like a very Simpsons way to do it. Yeah, or, I mean, even, like, Order of the Stick does that, right? Oh, right. That's what I meant by Simpsons. for the Mundangerous Healing Sarcophagus in New York City. I'm your host, Shane. And I'm your host, Ishan. And welcome to episode 196 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about how to deal with coming back from the dead. But first, the rogue traders bring reinforcements in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, the Shinigami shepherds the dead to the next life and hunts down those who won't come willingly in the Character Creation Forge. Total Party Thrill is brought to you this week by the Artisans at Elderwood Academy. They craft amazing gaming products, including dice towers, dice trays, dice boxes, deck boxes, dice, and more. All products are crafted to look like spellbooks, scroll cases, codices, and other awesome fantasy gear we love, including the Mini Phoenix dice set. Uh, Shane, why are they called Phoenix dice? Is it because they explode into little tiny balls of fire? No, unfortunately, these dice will not uh, burn up and then resurrect themselves. But they oh, do, not yet. They do have the cool Elderwood Academy uh, Phoenix logo on them, which is, I think, why they're called Phoenix dice. Oh, okay. Uh, they come in four colors. I like the Spectrum, honestly, which are, um, I think you've seen them before. It's sort of like a new thing with dice where they look kind of like uh, an oil slick. Yeah, like oil um, can kind of colored, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, like they're like multiple colors all sort of like mixed together but like they don't blend which mm-hmm. is cool they also have them in ancient silver ancient gold ancient copper uh that's, those are all kind of an aged color uh metal metallic right they're not like bright and shiny yeah um and they're in the, D, the d20 set right so uh 2d10s d20 uh d12 d6 and d4 Right, they're called mini, but we're pretty sure that that's because they go with the mini like hex case that you can like stick in your pocket and take anywhere, mm-hmm. not because they are exceptionally tiny. I think they're pretty normal sized dice. But they are only $25 at elderwoodacademy.com and they look pretty rad. So, you can find that product and many more at elderwoodacademy.com/don'tsplit. And a shout out to people on Discord. Uh, for those of you who don't know, our Discord channel is open. There's a link in the show notes. Uh, come on by. We got a fair number of people there. You know, Shane, my favorite thing about the Discord? People talk to each other and not just us. Oh, that's awesome. That's that's a great thing. The other thing I really like about it is um, I'm not always looking at it. So I'll come back and see like, you know, hey, there were a bunch of messages and there was a conversation that happened. And often it will be someone being like, hey, can you guys do an episode on this topic that I'm interested in? Sometimes it's one we already we, you know, like it's in the queue and we're going to cover it. Other times it's not at all, but it's a great idea. And then someone else or like three other people will weigh in and be like, well, here's how I do it. And here's how I do it. And I'm looking at that going, this is awesome. You guys just wrote the episode for us. <laughs> okay, cool. So we're cheating now. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Wonderful. Please come to our Discord so we can crib off of you. <laughs> there is a link in the show notes and uh, as well as on Twitter. All right. Speaking of cheating, Shane... Where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? So the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game played using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. And on the Death World Iblis Prime in the frontier city of Meridian, the Rogue Traders have set out to establish a colony in the name of the Holy Throne of Terra and Prophet. 
So having reinforced your number and depleted your uh, asset reserves by hiring some crew mercenaries, you now have decided to return to Planetside. And what's your first order of business there, Ishan? Uh, we decided to shore up security at the mine. Do you remember that mine that we were digging and it was pretty lucrative until it exploded? Yeah, it was like two days ago that you left. <laughs> yeah, <I> know, <laughs> it feels, feels like a long time. <laughs> well, it was probably like one session ago, but like... 18 episodes <laughs> right <laughs> you spent a lot of time screwing around in space trying to hire these dumb crew yeah that's true um so we want to make sure that uh whomever blew up who sabotaged our mind which we're pretty sure are the techno gangers uh can't do it again so we beef up security uh, including reinforcing the perimeter with some of those new crew who actually really enjoy the fact that if they kill an emerald stalker they can eat it mm-hmm Oh yeah, though they're loving it. Jungle terrain for Kroot is like a natural home. Uh, they've got plenty of work to be done in this jungle that is actively trying to kill everything. Um, and of course, you know, if discipline gets lax anywhere, you can always, you know, use the meat. You know, those armsmen didn't come back from patrol. Terrible things happen in the jungle, and who knows? Right. So, with the perimeter established and reinforced, you are able to set to work drilling a new second mine shaft. Um, in order to kind of restore your mining operations. If you recall, uh, the original one got bombed and collapsed, uh, basically halting all of your work. And while you're doing this, uh, you find that the time you've invested into trying to make contacts with the Sentinels bears fruit. Uh, their spies begin providing sort of monthly reports on the major developments across Meridian, right? Kind of keeping you appraised of what the rival factions are up to. Yeah, but the fact that there was a bombing and then <laughs> two days later, Kroot mercenaries from off-planet appear has really sort of like kicked the Hordance nest of Meridian. So the Technoganger cell is going to ground, at least as far as we can tell. But we've also heard that they're now investing in counter-intel assets. They're protecting their underground activities and they're challenging uh, what the Sentinels are trying to do uh, on their own. So now it's a bit of spy versus spy. And then meanwhile, sensing blood in the water, uh, the Peacekeepers, which are the mercantile collective that you are technically a part of, though clearly intending to take over, uh, they have moved to consolidate a series of Prometheum suppliers. And Prometheum, uh, of course, is the main fuel that you use for mining operations. And burning down the jungle, which keeps trying to overtake us. Two very important uses of Prometheum. Yeah, so and then they jack up the prices. Imagine that. Yeah, it's almost like monopolies are bad for consumers. Huh. <laughs> so as they're jacking up these prices, you know, this is threatening to strangle your mining operation uh, even before it really gets off the ground in this first month. Yeah, this is a familiar feeling. <laughs> Nothing right. ever goes right for us. But you know what? Fine. Threats are mounting. Uh, but the mining camp has been resecured, and so we return to our main offices in Meridian, in the Commercia District, and we get ready to settle some scores. And we'll find out what happens next, next week. So this week, we're talking about Resurrection. Oh, great. It's a church episode? Yes, that's what we're doing. Uh, it was recently Easter. <laughs> yeah, well, we're recording this on Orthodox <laughs> Easter. <laughs> uh, great. Okay, we're... Live from the Mundangerous Empty Tomb. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> What's the build? Something that can move big rocks. <laughs> it's uh, it's meld with stone. 
<laughs> I was never here. Right. Right. False life. <laughs> Feign death. Done. Right. All right. Good. Okay. So. Uh, in, I think, a lot of fantasy or even sci-fantasy games, honestly, characters who die can often end up coming back to life. Now, in some settings, this is a really rare occurrence that might only actually happen one time ever. Uh, like, Earth, I guess? Yeah. Depending on who you ask. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but in something like standard 5e D&D, you can have it where, like, people can come back to life from the dead multiple times in a single round once you hit, like, the mid-game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in like the mechanics of most game systems, there's not usually a ton of attention paid to like the effect of coming back from the dead on like uh, a PC or you know, like their feelings uh, or, or like how it affected them. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, like the ease or difficulty of avoiding those permanent death really affects how your players are going to approach approach conflict or danger in general when you're running the game. Yeah, and then of course. If a PC was here uh, yesterday and is suddenly gone tomorrow, uh, that will affect the flow of the narrative. So uh, a, the death of a character will also leave a hole in the party and in the story. Yeah, we talked about this uh, in the character death episode uh, in episode 24. So this episode, we're talking about how to play out the consequences of coming back to life after you've died and how uh, the players and the GM can adjust the dials on exactly how you let characters come back to life in a way that ends up being best for your particular table in your game. Okay, so let's start with the consequences of resurrection. I think a lot of this depends on how long you're dead, right? Like, was it seconds? You know, like in 5e, there's the spell Revivify. I think it showed up in 3.5 D&D, where um, it's like a raised dead that only works within the first minute after you died but it basically means that like once the battle is over you can go around and sort of like uh defibrillate uh anyone who who like went down during the battle right you just can't do it like a day later yeah compared to you know days have passed right we've been carting around your body for some time or even years have passed right like whole epics of history have passed by while you were out yeah, I think something like true Resur- true resurrection works for up to what two hundred and fifty years later. Mm-hmm. Like everybody you know has been dead. That space is basically stasis. Um, so depending on how long you've been gone, uh, you what you want to think about is what did you experience while you were not alive. Uh, it's possible that it was just darkness, right? Like there is no afterlife, or at least you experienced no afterlife. Um, there was no like uh, brain activity. You weren't dreaming. You just weren't. Right. So as far as you can tell, you basically like leapt forward in time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you could have had more of an out of body experience or a trip to the afterlife. So your soul could have left your body and you could have gone to heaven or hell or, you know, the astral sea or whatever the religion and cosmology of your world dictates should happen to souls. Yeah, and you can stick these in, like, very sort of modern games as well, even if you're not dealing with, like, fantasy or magic or anything like that, right? Like, you can die on the operating table and then maybe have an out-of-body experience where you're sort of floating uh, over the operating theater. Um, and then, you know, CPR maybe brings you back or, you know, whatever MacGuffin drug that they inject you with and you wake back up and, like, you were able to see something. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also pretty tropey uh, where... You die and then you go up to like, you know, cloud nine. You're hanging out there with angels and you have the opportunity to like 
talk with God or talk with your God, depending where you are, mm-hmm. or like hang out with angels and like look through a hole in the clouds at what everyone else is doing. Yeah, that feels like a very Simpsons way to do it. Yeah, or I mean, even like Order of the Stick does that, right? Oh, right. That's what I meant by Simpsons. <laughs> um, and th- these all um, offer different opportunities, both for the player and for the GM. Uh, but initially, when you come back to life, like what you experienced while you were gone is really going to inform the way that you deal with uh, coming back or having died. And like those kinds of things, I think, are rarely explicitly laid out in the mechanics of a game, right? Like you'll get a spell that says, hey, you come back to life. Um, but it doesn't really say, here's how you should think about how you feel about it. Or like, here are the um, mental repercussions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but a GM can just sort of be like, guess what? Stuff happened. And I'm going to tell you all the stuff that, that happened. I'm going to lay some stuff out for you. New information, um, or at least new new things, new experiences that you have now, but it's also possible that like you have the situation where the PC doesn't necessarily know if they can trust them, right? Was that a hallucination while I was dying? Um, or did I actually like commune with the deity and now I have cool new information about the plot? So yeah, I think if you are, especially if you're doing something where you have been you know, dead at the end of a session kind of thing and, and you'll be brought back to life in the next session or some time will pass. Like it's a good idea as a player and a GM to work together to kind of figure out what that experience was uh, once you actually collapsed. And, you know, if it fits in the narrative, like it's great for GMs to um, provide visions or messages, you know, like get that information in the player's hands to advance your plot. Um, or give the players some agency in what they would do given the kind of parameters of their soul leaving their body. Um, you know, like work that out with the player and give them give them some type of reward for investing in the, the death experience, right? Yeah, like I would probably even oftentimes, like unless I had a specific plan, just be like, hey, you died. Like, what did you see? Because like you look at something like, I don't know, Forgotten Realms, like, it's pretty prescribed what happens to your soul. Uh, but something like Eberron, like the gods don't walk around. So if someone is like worshiping Dol Ara um, and they've never had an opportunity to actually like commune with that deity, like I might be like, I don't know, did you did you actually see your god? Did you, did you have this opportunity to do that? Or or like did you go to Delur for a little while where you're just sort of hanging out there and like, like the gray waste with other like dead spirits? Mm-hmm. I can work any of that into our game here. But you also just might have a player who just wants to be told, like, wants to be like, I don't know, you tell me what I saw, and, like, I can work that into, like, the the story of, like, my character's experience. Mm-hmm. Another really common trope with this is just straight-up exposition. Like, you have things that you need or want the party to know, uh, and one easy way to do that is, hey, if someone died, then, like, some spirit tells them. Like, this happened in Harry Potter. Um, like I said before, it happens in Order of the Stick, like... When characters die, they go hang out on, like, the upper planes with their gods or, like, their dead family members. And dead family members are like, hey, here's all the exposition that you needed that there wasn't really any other way for you to get. You'll remember some of this, but not all of it. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of a nice opportunity to, like, give information to a character when they most need it. Because chances are they've died because they are in dire circumstances. And so now, like... it's sort of a cause and effect bad thing happened but now there's an opportunity to give them a piece of information that can eventually help them win 
those are all sort of reactive, right? Like the dice dictated that a character died, but you can also have circumstances where a player character is perhaps proactively dying, right? Yeah. <laughs> Something like a, a death ritual or, um, you know, a, a necessary sacrifice kind of thing um, with the intent of going to track down information from you know, communion with a deity or with ancestors or something like that before they intend to be resurrected. Yeah, right. It's like a, like flatliners, like, all right, I'm going to go in, I'm going to get some info, make sure you pull me out at the appointed time because otherwise I am not coming back. Right, right. So let's talk about the effects on a player character after they come back from the dead. Yeah, first off is physical. Um, I think... Mechanically, for most game systems, there aren't a ton of physical drawbacks, and like maybe that's totally fine. But think about whether there are any lingering injuries or you know maybe weakness uh, from just the ordeal. Um, even if it is, isn't mechanical, right? Like maybe the wound that killed you in the first place, like doesn't completely heal, or like there's a very nasty scar. I think like most healing magic usually like takes care of scars. Um, but I like to think that like a wound that actually kills you, like leaves some sort of mark on you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like, I like to make sure that if the system doesn't have mechanical effects associated with dying, right. Um, because there, there's games like Phoenix Dawn command where death is how you level up and that's all natural. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you don't have those mechanical effects, you want to make sure that you're not punishing players for having a resurrected character versus just rolling a new character right so you want to make sure that those mechanical differences are more flavorful mechanical distinctions rather than more like punishing you know you've lost um two caster levels as a result of dying well okay. yeah right like gone That's, are the days of like level loss <laughs> yeah like that just sucks yeah but i like the idea of like um you know like my leg was cut off and i bled out very quickly uh and that's how i died being like all right my leg was stitched back together and i'm alive again but like when it rains yeah my leg hurts yeah exactly right <laughs> or like i i will always have the scar uh that you know circumscribes my leg right or like uh, i like the idea of a scar where if someone looks at it they can be like there is absolutely no way that you survived that wound that's impossible right like you have to have been resurrected right um, this is also a great time to use prostheses and, and different kind of creative setting appropriate ways to replace physical damage uh, mm. with either mechanical or, or magical. Um, of course, you don't want to like necessarily introduce mechanical penalties for that, but just leave that as a flavor, right? Like you are now the one-armed pirate instead of the two-armed pirate. Mm. I mean, like the 40k RPGs kind of do this. You don't technically die, but when you burn a fate point to like keep your character... You have suffered something that otherwise normally would have killed you and for some reason hasn't. Maybe don't use that as a model. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're also going to end up with like lots of like augmented parts. Yeah. <laughs> that is definitely not a system in which don't punish players for dying. It's embraced. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, another system that kind of does this is Birthright, uh, which we really like. I do like how sort of in the setting... Um, it's very clear that like it's frowned upon to resurrect characters who have had regency, like a like a divine bloodline attached to the, to the land. Because uh, when you die, you lose all of that. Like your bloodline disappears, and so when you come back, you don't have a bloodline anymore, which just makes you more likely to want to murder other people and steal theirs. So like nobody usually wants to bring you back. So if you are back and you don't have that regency anymore, and you've lost that divine tie, 
how does that feel and what does that mean to you? Yeah, I mean, another that works really well in Birthright specifically because it's a way to encourage you to play another member of your bloodline and play your heir rather mm-hmm. than playing your existing character. Right. Although if I did get back, I would maybe go murder my heir. And do yeah, I mean, that would be yeah. your first stop, right? <laughs> <laughs> like your heir is the person who's preventing you from being resurrected. Yeah. Okay, so what about mental effects or mental results of coming back? Well, I think like you said, you don't want to punish players, but as a player, I think it can be interesting to explore things like phobias of whatever it was that killed you, right? Like if you died in a fireball, maybe you have an aversion to fire now, or you play that out for a few levels or like part of an arc and, you know, figure out how you overcome that again. Yeah, you might come back uh, with more wisdom, right? Like you've learned from this experience. Uh, You might also just come back with a more cavalier attitude, (laughs) you know, like cool like death wasn't that big of a deal to me like i i'm not i'm not really worried about death anymore like i'm past that right you know the most important thing to me right now keeping the cleric alive Mm -hmm. but me like (laughs) it doesn't matter anymore yeah or like maybe like a weird sense of pride right like oh i can die i can handle it like you you're not gonna be able to handle it yeah you don't you don't want to go there yeah it's sort of like you know oh turns out it was really just like a roller coaster scary sure but, like, you come out the other end just fine. Well, at least I do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I also like the idea that, like, you got some sort of information that you couldn't have gotten without dying. Like, you got eaten by a dragon. All right. Fortunately, you were able to be resurrected. But, like, guess what? Now I know that, like, this dragon is missing this particular, like, tooth here. And actually, that's a safe space in his mouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, or or even, like, hey, what's on the other side of this trap? Right. Like, um, I think you get this in Planescape Torment where, like, the game removes um, death as an obstacle because you can resurrect essentially an infinite number of times. Uh, And sometimes you can only reach a location or solve a problem by, like, dying and then having your body end up in a different place. And then, like, when you wake up and and resurrect now, you know, you have more information. You're you're basically sort of, like, testing traps on your own. Yeah, right. So there can also be sort of spiritual impacts on characters when they come back from the dead. Um, you know, if you have a game that features deities and an afterlife and, you know, religion, are you right or were you wrong? You know, like, is your religion's belief actually what happens? You know, is that a proven and tested uh, belief or is that sort of a, a made up and, you know, incorrect belief? Yeah, I would fully expect that like any setting where you do have relatively reliable resurrection, even if it is rare, um, would have like pretty concrete uh, beliefs about the afterlife because you have empirical evidence from like you have eyewitness testimony from people who come back and and can all sort of like corroborate and be like, oh, yeah, no, that's exactly what it's like. Mm -hmm. Um, And even if you like were right, even if it was what you were told it would be, was it what you expected? Right. Was it? Was it a pleasant experience? Did you like go to to Mount Celestia and like hang out with some archons and like eat perfect grapes until like you got called back to the world? Or like are you just a selfish person and it turns out that you actually went to the nine hells? And like you didn't expect that, but holy crap, those things are real. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this I don't know, this works I guess better with the old systems where you like lose experience points. So like we don't recommend doing this, but like you can think about what what is it that you left behind, right? Like, is it possible that like not all of you came back? Are there memories that are missing that are not like mechanically important? Like, you don't forget how to like use a weapon, 
but you know maybe you have dimmer memories of certain parts of your childhood mm-hmm. and then all of that sort of feeds into the question of what happens if you have multiple resurrections right like how do these sort of physical mental and spiritual effects stack on top of each other as you go through this does it become sort of simple and and old hat does it become more terrifying each time is it more challenging or are you less willing to be resurrected as you spend more time in the afterlife yeah i like any of these options and i feel like they sort of really depend on what character you're playing i mean i do i like the idea of like you're kind of playing that like uh red baron sop with camel like every time you come back to life you put a stamp on the like side of your shield Mm -hmm. (laughs) you're just like racking them up like yep that's seven resurrections yeah like the uh that character from game of thrones who keeps being brought back by the whatever god i don't actually know what you're talking about yeah i don't either (laughs) we're just trying to be relevant right (laughs) so the question that the character will ask as soon as they're brought back most likely is what has gone on in the world around them um, you know, even if you're gone for just a few seconds, like there's no way of really knowing how long you've been out. Yeah, exactly. Like it's a nice time for dramatic irony where like the character doesn't necessarily know how long they've been out. And, you know, they could probably figure it out because you, you wake up and it's the same battle, but the whole battle's changed, right? Like it's probably been six to 12 to 20 seconds. Um, some of your allies might now be dead. Uh, some of your allies might not be in situations that you don't quite understand. The goals may totally have changed. I mean, that's assuming that the 12 seconds that you spent in the afterlife was, or the 12 seconds you spent dead were only 12 seconds that you spent in the afterlife. Right? Oh yeah, that's a, that's like, a good point. Yeah. It's possible you could spend years in the afterlife or, or feel experience years in the afterlife before you're brought back, even if only a few seconds pass in sort of the real world. Yeah, totally. Uh, I also like the idea of sort of inverting this where the, the character is not confused. Actually, yeah, to your point, like you could have spent years and actually that the, that time could have been prep time for you, basically, right? Like you were given information and they're like, all right, you're, you're about to get called back. They're about to res you. Here is what you have to do as soon as you get there. Right. So right. so they're fully aware of the state of play as soon as they're brought back and they just come out ripping. Yeah, basically. Right. And like everyone else is confused. They're like, right. what? are you even doing we're not <laughs> fighting over there like no forget you <laughs> actually come this way this is what the right. actual goal <laughs> um who is it that's bringing you back to life um who raised you from the dead how do you feel about them how did you feel about them beforehand and how do you feel about them now mm-hmm. uh do you owe a stupid life debt now <laughs> <laughs> you better kill them and res them so you're square right <laughs> crap in order to do that i have to multi-cleric right yeah i mean that's all going to be informed basically by i think your afterlife experience right and how you feel about being raised uh if it's positive you'll probably appreciate the person who raised you and if it's negative you probably won't Mm -hmm. unless they're like hey i use that spell where you lose two caster levels yeah (laughs) go screw Uh, for other party members if you're not the one dying think about how you feel having this character back like Maybe you're really happy and you know you all get along, but maybe like you really hated them and you were kind of glad that they were dead, but man, you really need them in the party and now they're here. Are, are you conflicted? Yeah, so that's that runs into one of those weird things at the table that works really well in fiction um, and is a challenge sometimes to pull at the table where like you have the quest to resurrect the friend, 
right? Like one of your party members dies early and you, you then have a, a secondary quest to go get what you need assembled so that you can bring them back to life. And it's very challenging to pull at the table because that tends to mean real adventure and table time where one player isn't really able to participate. Yeah, you just need to plan it around um, somebody having a baby or going on vacation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, or have a you know an NPC able to kind of step in and then be ready to leave again. Yeah, well, actually, that segues pretty well into uh, our next part. Let's talk about actually running Resurrection at the table. A um, couple different methods to do that. First one is where the players have most of the agency. And this is kind of what we've been talking about so far. It's it's standard for a game like D&D. Uh, the players are the ones who decide how and when to use a resurrection, right? They just have to have a character who has access to that ability. And like these days, you get it as early as level five, which mm-hmm. is like the like very beginning of the mid game. Right. And so like the party knows that like as long as like that one PC survives, no one else's death is, is going to be permanent as long as you're not TPKing. Uh, and I mean, as long as you have a thousand GP diamond or whatever is necessary to do it right (laughs) yeah um in this circumstance it mostly it often like frees players to take risks that they otherwise wouldn't and i think a lot of people like a lot of tables sort of find that um freeing and like that idea that like hey we can like do this this cool like action adventure stuff and not have to worry so much about like oh i slipped and fell and and died or like one lucky lucky crit takes you out permanently yeah yeah i mean you get more of a like high adventure swashbuckly kind of result if you make resurrection relatively easy to access you get a much lower grimmer darker campaign if you make resurrection rare and difficult right so yeah you can get full hundred pcs but i think also you can get some people who maybe are more cautious in real life who then can sort of lean into the bravery of their character um because like the consequences are less dire also, as a GM, it's much easier to prep encounters when uh, people have access to resurrection because, like, you just don't need to worry nearly as much about killing one or two PCs as long as you don't murder everybody. Yeah, and I mean, if the PCs have access to it, that means there's probably somewhere that they can get access to it externally as well. Right. The I think the main benefit of easing access to resurrection is that it ensures your narrative will continue sort of unimpeded right like this will be a speed bump in the overall plot that you've planned rather than you know suddenly uh one of the key characters in this adventure has now lost their hook yeah especially if like you know they they get ganked by like a random on keg encounter you mm-hmm. know and it's like all right i mean everybody wants to go retrieve them but i did have an arc planned and now i have to throw it away right or we or we throw them away exactly so (laughs) so glad that i put my plot on the other side of this dumb desert yeah uh you do though want to watch out to make sure that it that easy reses don't cheapen uh danger or the impact of death so i think like restrictions on uh resurrection can uh, can help give it some uh, relatively easy impact Shane, you already mentioned like there's a cost usually, like mo- like a money cost. Mm-hmm. Uh, traditionally, that's diamonds, but you know, really, it's doesn't matter. It's unobtainium, right? If you make it difficult to get access to the material components, it's difficult to actually perform the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Um, if nobody can do the resurrection or can't do the right kind of resurrection, then you've got to drag this body to somebody who actually can, mm-hmm. which is kind of a quest in and of itself. It's just like guard the cart. <laughs> 
Uh, you might also need permission from the deity either of the resurrecting person or the deity of the resurrected person, right? Yeah. To release mm-hmm. their soul back into the world. Uh, you could run into a, a circumstance where you need to be in the right place or like at the right time in order for the resurrection to actually work. Oh, so there's like a prophetic component involved? Yeah, or you even could just be like in the setting. Um, hey, resurrections work, but they only work in like one particular location or at this particular temple or, or whatever, like right? At, at a nexus of the ley lines on a full yeah, room exactly, kind of thing. something right. like that. Yeah, uh, I, I think the important thing to remember here is with any of these restrictions, like if they are restrictions on what normally appears in the book, then you should telegraph that ahead of time or like make it very apparent. You don't want to just spring it on people right in the middle of the battlefield when they're like, "Ha ha! I will use my revivify and we'll be fine," and then you go, "No, go screw." <laughs> Do you really know Revivify, though? Look, I had this whole thing planned where I was just going to... I wasn't going to heal anybody. I was going to let anybody die. I had this character that I heard about in something called a character creation forge. Uh (laughs) And they said that I I get more mileage out of bringing people back to life than healing them. Right. (laughs) Uh, And they did me wrong. They did me dirty. All right. So what if the GM is the person at the table who has the agency to allow or restrict a resurrection well then the pc's dreams are crushed and uh i'm i'm gonna make sure that when they die they stay dead good because resurrection is special it's special here and and it's a life for a life if you want to bring conan back to life that lady whose name i don't even remember has to die oh <laughs> uh, okay dark uh, yeah, in these circumstances, like it's either GM fiat that brings someone back, or it becomes a quest, which is still basically GM fiat with like here, here's the recipe for a resurrection. Go right. do it. Yep. Um, it works really well for an important NPC, uh, but like you mentioned before, it's a little more difficult when it's a PC. But it, it can work really well if like someone is sort of tired of a character or has a replacement character that they're interested in playing that like who steps in uh, for a while to like help rescue the person. So in these circumstances, the restrictions that we were just talking about can get a lot tighter or a lot more difficult. So maybe like a player technically does have the ability to cast a resurrection, but you can only use it like during long shadows, which is three days at the end of the year, once a year, and that's it. Or like you have to be in a manifest zone to delure, and guess what? Nobody knows where those are. You've got to go hunt one down. Well, we know where one big one is. (laughs) Well, you did kind of make it. Uh, so if you're in a setting where resurrection is not commonplace or, or even really understood or known, um, this makes for a nice additional ability to provide to the PCs. So, you know, you're not watering down the standard abilities that they get. They don't have to take a spell slot for it, but they just get it as sort of a bonus, maybe tied to an item or some knowledge that they've gained. Like they can now be possibly the only people in the setting capable of performing resurrection. Yeah, Angela did this in our Dark Sun game, where like canonically um, there are no gods, and so there are no reses in Dark Sun. But you know he was converting it from five E, so we were playing in five E, and he said, "All right, uh, special things to know: you can't come back to life, and if you die, that's it. Too bad. Uh, one, be careful. Two, think about that if you choose a cleric." Yeah, unfortunately, Angela wasn't able to stick to that standard, so we forced him to. <laughs> <laughs> he was like here is a way to resurrect and we said no we refuse to do that <laughs> no that is evil that is mm, for lack of a better word let's call it heresy i guess right <laughs> um so we still don't res and he can deal with it except that one time but we don't talk about that yeah exactly yeah 
and then a few alternatives here um, in order to run it. Lots of different things depending on what your players are interested in or what the needs are of your particular story when somebody comes back to life. Uh, the first one is Force Ghosts. Like, okay, you you died. I guess that's fine. Are you now like more powerful than you could ever imagine? I guess. Uh, you don't actually fight in combat though. <laughs> yeah, you just can't intervene directly, right? Yeah, you end up being an advisor. Um, I think it, this is kind of cool. Like, it's a bit of a reward to someone who doesn't necessarily want their character to come back, or who like whose characters can't come back because like it doesn't work that way. Like in Star Wars, there's no resurrecting. Right. Um, but they could become an NPC controlled by the player and not the GM. Right. Like, the GM will feed you information, but like you're the one who gets to role play them out, or you're the one who who decides like what their sort of like ultimate game plan is, and and that's really cool to be able to influence the story in that way. Um, with like the investment of time that you put in that character in the first place. You could also come back as some type of undead monster or other abomination, right? Uh, fifth edition or D and D has the revenant, which is, um, you know, somebody who had a, a purpose that was not fulfilled, um, and has come back to complete that. Yeah. But also if you wanted to just like play a big bruiser or like if you were the barbarian i would probably be fine with just sort of like handing you a monster stat block and just saying like hey that the necromancer who's in the party like brought you back as an animated undead and like you don't follow their directions but like all you really want to do is smash things anyway so like just go do that Mm -hmm. in other settings you could come back as a cyborg right so your consciousness could be kind of imprinted on a machine or you could be rebuilt mostly from machine parts in order to um you know give your brain some type of resurrection um of course this would have a price uh, depending on the setting you know maybe social maybe otherwise um and then of course also being a machine tends to have some benefits as well yeah tons of ways to go with this right like you can be robocop um but you can you can also just sort of be like someone who has like uh, parts reconnected, like the $6 million man, right? Like that guy doesn't struggle with like, am I still human? <laughs> right. Uh, you could straight up be a ghost. In 3.5 D&D, there was a ghost walk setting where dead PCs could actually just keep adventuring like as a ghost. Um, and then you kept the XP that you got if you were resurrected. Um it was like specific to the setting. It was a city where like ghosts walked around. I, I guess it's a bit like uh, the main city in Blades in the Dark. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you could still interact with people. You could still like take part in the game. It was just sort of like a detour. And then as we talked about a little bit with the Revenant, you can have kind of a less structured, less undead version of that where um, you are with the specific intention of completing some unfinished business, right? And when that task is complete, then you will move on to the afterlife. Yeah, and this probably pairs really well with like the deity who's reluctant to give permission or the character who's reluctant to come back from the dead. Uh, like, okay, great. You have something unfinished, though. Would you like to come back and do that? And then after that, you die for good. Yeah. So this um, is like the Risen Martyr class from the Book of Exalted Deeds back in 3.5. Uh, yeah, I thought it was cool. Like, you're undead, but you're like corporeal. You can't like walk through walls and stuff. And then after you... After you gained 10 levels in the class, you like disappeared. You ascended to the upper planes, right? So it's basically like you died again. You know, you finished that task. Mm -hmm. Um, Although I I sort of like the idea of like tying it to a story milestone rather than necessarily a number of XP. Yeah, I I could see that being 
um, maybe a shorter term milestone. Like ten levels is a lot, right? But yeah, if you, yeah. If you put it around like two or three levels, but then you're giving sort of accelerated bonuses to that character during that time, right? Let them really shine, and then they're really gone for good. Like that would be kind of a cool way to end it, which you could accomplish in just a few sessions, so they're not hogging all the spotlight. Yeah, and then it sort of gives everybody time to say goodbye and also gives the player time to roll up something new. Yeah, exactly. A, a structured end to the arc, if you will. All right, so I actually prefer games where, at least in a limited way, you can come back from the dead or sort of get, like, get a do-over with a character. Um, and that's partly because like I like to play with more like reckless abandon. Uh, rather than being extremely careful like we've talked before i don't particularly love gritty games like dcc or osr games but i also really love that like being dead or the afterlife is basically an entire other setting for you to explore as a character and that i really like how that reflects on the way that you can respond once you're alive again yeah i haven't really done too much i don't think in any prior campaigns around resurrection um it tends to either be unavailable and we re-roll a new character or it tends to be commonplace and it's just a matter of finding the diamond and going to the the right priest so this is definitely an area where i would like more games to explore uh it's just like losing a character is already so devastating i sometimes i like when i get through the grieving stage and in 10 minutes i don't want to go back you know yeah <laughs> i i already mourned you yeah like i reached yeah. acceptance i'm not i can't go back to you <laughs> um i yeah i really like it as like a pivotal turning point like i think a lot of times people struggle with how like i want i want a, a character arc I, I want them to like change their mind about something but how do i do that and if you happen to die that is an excellent opportunity to introduce that like this is the time you're going to rethink your life do you hear that, Ishan? The uh, I think that's the awful moaning of uh, the undead come to take me away. Uh, has it been ten levels already? Really? It just it seems like I just got here. Well, if you're ascending to the afterlife, then that can only mean one thing: it's time to move on to the character creation forge and roll up your next character. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sense Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. And check us out on Discord. I'm Lisa Chen, and I host Behold Her, a monthly podcast that shines a spotlight on women in the world of tabletop games. There are so many women to behold in this amazing hobby, and our experiences as female gamers are as diverse as we are as individuals. Through one-on-one interviews, audio essays, and panel discussions, all centered around a monthly theme, the guests on Beholder share their unique stories as players, game masters, designers, artists, organizers, and so much more. Their words are inspiring, uplifting, and informative. Check out Behold Her Podcast wherever podcasts are found or visit beholdherpodcast.com. All right, so this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are talking about the Shinigami. Now, Ishin, what is a Shinigami? Shane, you don't know? No. You don't watch a ton of anime? <laughs> no. 
All right, so so Shinigami uh, literally means death god. It's a spirit of death that shows up in Japanese folklore. They're sometimes characterized as helpful. Sometimes they're not. They're just selfish and they like murder people. Uh, but specifically, they show up pretty prominently in two popular anime, Bleach and Death Note. You know, this I sh- believe I own Bleach and Death Note from like a free download day on Amazon Prime. Wait, really? I, you, I believe You've so, watched yes. neither one? Well, Bleach is like 500 episodes. Well, I might own the first season. <laughs> Okay. Of either one. I think Death Note's only like 37 now. It's only. <laughs> right. It's very short. Okay. Well, so go ahead and spoil it for me. It's actually not really about the Shinigami. It's about a guy who finds a book. Uh, no, and he can don't, write spo- the- <laughs> don't spoil the, not the anime. <laughs> spoil the Shinigami. Okay. <laughs> well, our Shinigami takes inspiration from uh, both of the anime. It leans more toward uh, the Soul Reaper from Breach from Bleach, which is a warrior that's tasked with hunting down spirits that haven't passed on to the afterlife and then guiding the recently deceased to the next world. So it's kind of like, hey, people die and then their spirits are there and you show up and are like, ah, you have died. Welcome to the next part of your life. Uh, Please step this way into the afterlife. Gotcha. Except that sometimes people are like, no, I'm not really dead. And then they like run away and then become horrible undead monsters. So then you got to kill them twice. Exactly. And then bring them back. Exactly. Cool. So what's the build? It is Grave Cleric 8, Divination Wizard 2, Hexblade, Pact of the Blade Warlock 10. Okay. So from Grave Cleric, uh, looks like we're going to get fourth level spells. Um, I'm guessing we're taking some of the death related ones. Yeah, maybe. There might be a few of them in that Grave Cleric. Yeah. Spare the dying, toll the dead. Uh, what? Ceremony? Yeah, you get a funeral, right? Um, <laughs> gentle uh, repose, revivify. Uh, what else? Uh, well, I think if you are someone who needs to sort of like calm the spirits of the recently deceased, you, a spell like calm emotions might be very useful for you. Okay, I, um, I'll buy that. Yeah, uh, you're also like if you're a bleach shinigami, then you're sort of like this this uh, sometimes incorporeal spirit who like flies around doing stuff and chasing after ghosts. So it's handy to potentially have a spiritual weapon or to surround yourself with uh, other spirit guardians. Maybe you're summoning other people from soul society. I like the idea that you might also moonlight as somebody else's spirit guardian. (laughs) Right. They call you over. I love that. (laughs) Where were you last session? Oh, you know, I got a summons. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's 11. Uh, So then you will also maximize your healing on a target that's at zero HP. So you can bring them back up very quickly. And then at level two, as your channel divinity, you get eyes of the grave. Uh, We've used this before to great effect Uh, as an action. You basically point at somebody and the next uh, attack that hits them uh, does double damage. Uh, I think this mirrors pretty well the Shinigami eyes from uh, Death Note, where like a Shinigami can look at a person and see exactly how long they have left to live. You're also able to protect your allies from crits, and uh, you'll be able to destroy undead up to CR1. From Wizard, you'll get cool stuff that helps when you're fighting in melee combat against the horrible undead. Shields absorb elements. You'll get some nice rituals like detect magic and find familiar. Of course, what we're really here for with Divination Wizard is the portent ability, which you can combo nicely with Eyes of the Grave to ensure that you're getting double damage on a quality strike. Yeah, and it's also nice like in narrative to just be like, no, it's not that person's time, or yes, it is definitely your time. Right. <laughs> for Warlock, you get 5th level spells, although honestly, you're mostly going to be using these for Eldritch Smite. Uh, you'll get a pack weapon that you can summon out of midair, which is very bleach. 
Uh, it's then, also very kind of spirit oriented, right? Yeah, totally. Like, where did I put my sword? Wherever the hell I wanted. Yeah. <laughs> Somewhere in the astral plane. <laughs> uh, you get the cool Hexblade stuff. Hexblade's curse. Um, this is the first time we've had a Hexblade where I've been like, hey, that accursed specter, that's really like on brand um, and works nicely. Like, you can um, sort of capture a spirit of someone who's died and sort of send them out to do your bidding for a while. Mm hmm. Uh, and then Armor of Hexes will let you uh, give a 50% mischance against uh, your cursed opponent. You will also get five invocations, which you should definitely take the one that gives you speak with dead. Um, you'll take the option for extra attack uh, as well as Eldritch Smite. And then for skills, uh, definitely take Insight because you are going to... You're you're not only like an undead slayer, you're also a counselor for someone who has like just died. Uh, and so you want to be able to like read their emotions. So take insight and you want to be able to persuade them that the best thing for them to do is to accept their fate and move on to the next life. So take persuasion and guidance is going to help you with both of those. So then in terms of leveling order, um, what do you say? Start cleric four, uh, yeah. take warlock to 10, um, then get your wizard levels and then finish out cleric. Yeah. That's nice. That lets you grab like gentle repose and your cool um, like grave cleric abilities before really like getting deep into your melee abilities with warlock. And then the other nice thing about that is that your eldritch blast is also leveled up when you first take warlock, so you don't even really lose pace on the damage scale. Yeah, exactly. It, it's ideal. <laughs> yeah, I guess take agonizing blast too. Yeah, why not? Yeah, you got an extra invocation. <laughs> So, Ishan, who is your Shinigami? So, my Shinigami um, is an orphan, of course. Uh, she saw the terrible uh, assassination of both of her parents right in front of her. She's Batman. She's Batman. No, she just shares an origin story with Batman. Um, was traumatized by it, didn't fully understand it. But, you know, as she grew older, realized that she really did want to, to understand, like, what happened to her parents, what became of them. And, you know, as she did sort of delve into this research, she realized that neither of them actually accepted their fate. Um, you know, they had a young child. They weren't ready to, to die. Um, but by doing that, they uh, turned into terrible undead creatures. And so she resolved that she would, uh, one, slay them, and two, make sure that uh, she sent them off to their eternal rest. So basically the the main crux of this is she wants to hunt down uh, the monsters that her parents became but of course that was a long time ago they're very powerful I think it'll probably be a while before she can actually track them down what about your Shinigami uh, my Shinigami is a priest um, just a genuine priest of the god of death and um, part of the responsibility of the god of death is ensuring that the right people die at the right time um, you know as a priest uh Sometimes you have a divine calling, um, and sometimes you observe it's necessary uh, through circumstance for somebody's time to be accelerated to right now. Um, and either way, like you, tra uh, the my priest travels the world, doling out prophetically ordained, correct timed death to people who deserve it primarily, but sometimes to people who don't. I like the idea that maybe they're um, kind of obsessed with like keeping time, like watches oh, yeah. and <laughs> punctuality. <laughs> he's yes, he's festooned in pocket watches. Uh, he he looks very much like um, Flava Flav. 
Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I do like the idea of this character in general in combat, sort of like using the eyes of the grave ability as Shinigami eyes, like looking at someone and knowing how long they have left to live. So like, who is the person I attack next? Well, it's the person whose like counter is down to three seconds. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> at the beginning of combat, you have to like calibrate your three watches, right? right. One for right. each enemy. You and then synchronize out- swatches. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, or even just, I like the idea that you're walking through like the bazaar and you know, you see numbers above everybody's head and that person's number is negative. Yeah. You're overdue. Uh, yep. <laughs> well, guess what? I had some stuff to do, but I'm rearranging my calendar just for you. Your soul has a late fee. <laughs> All right. Before we wrap up, let's take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Yeah. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about dinner parties. And in the character creation forge? We're building the gourmand. Well, that's it for episode 196 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. This week, Total Party Thrill is brought to you by Kobold Press. Empire of the Ghouls is the first 5th edition campaign from Kobold Press for characters levels 1 to 14, taking your heroes deep into the realms of the undead. You will explore a kingdom of terror and blood ruled by vampires, and far below the earth in the Underdark is a mighty empire of ghouls. It's pretty handy that they uh, don't need sunlight to function, uh, nor do they need to eat things that require sunlight, because they are so heterotrophic. I, I mean, in a campaign where you have to deal with both a kingdom of vampires and a an empire of ghouls, I mean, you got to bring the cleric, right? Oh, absolutely. Maybe you don't, and that way it's like, okay, but we're not like we're not here to exterminate you, right? Like we didn't bring the Orkin man. We just, you know, we're here to like kind of finish our business, right? We're, we're we'll let some things slide. It's fine. Yeah, we're <laughs> we not got... here to change your way of life <laughs> or unlife, as it were. <laughs> right. Yeah, maybe don't bring the Shinigami on this one. Exactly. Oh, wait, I got to go kill them. Oh, wait, hold on. I got to go kill them too. Hold on. Everyone in this bazaar is overdue. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So does the uh, Empire of Ghouls rule the kingdom of empires, right? Empires above a kingdom, right? Uh, It does, but I don't think the kingdom of empires would be underground, right? They tend to, kingdoms of vampires tend to mix in above ground. Yeah, they like to be above ground where the sun is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. very mm-hmm. strange. Well, it's because the ghouls are keeping them out of the Underdark. Oh, mm-hmm. it's an age-long um, uh, battle between the two. Also, there's not enough humans in the Underdark to sustain the vampires, right? <laughs> not yet. <Yeah. laughs> so, this massive 5th edition campaign will include new Underdark lore, as well as tons of undead monsters, magic, and more, with both an adventure book and a player's guide. So if you're interested, you can sign up to get alerts when this Kickstarter goes live at www.coboldpress.com slash kickstarters.